0: From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of Always Winter, what is West of Westeros and the shadows in the east? This is Castle Talk, another Game of Thrones rewatch episode, and I'm Cat Napsock. Hey, friends, welcome to the program. This one, I don't know if it'll be as long as normal because I've been a little under the weather lately, and I hack it and confident choking into microphones is something I try to do as little as possible. Lately, it's been a challenge. So, uh, yes, we are looking at Season 3, Episode 8, which, of course, makes it the 28th episode overall of the show, titled Second Sons. Original air date May nineteenth, two 2013. Michelle McLaren back in the director's chair. She directed last week's episode as well. Benny Huff Weiss get the writing credits on this one. But as we know... And they get a lot of writing credits and they write a lot of scenes. But as we know, sometimes in those writers' rooms and in those final episodes, some of the episodes uh, have uh, scenes uh, that were made for either the episode before or the episode after. And so there's often different writers. And that also sometimes means different directors involved. But uh, these are the ones at the head of the chair this week. Cinematographer Chris Seeger and editor Francis Parker. A wonderful episode. I love Second Sons. Though I have to admit... And I think even in promoting this episode last last time out, I think I said, "Oh, Jorah! Something about Jorah and a very bad day for Jorah." Uh, other than well, seeing his uh, his favorite uh, Khaleesi insulted by the Titans bastard this episode, um, uh, what I actually mean is the battle for Yukai when they take it. And I was laughing at myself in rewatching this episode, an episode I've seen many times. That I often confuse the Second Sons with the uh, end of the episode, which uh, we'll get to next week, of uh, the actual liberation of Yukai. I just, I always mentally put it in this episode, probably because the next episode has, you know, kind of an important wedding to the history of Game of Thrones, and that kind of dominates the episode. But other things happen in that episode, and we're going to talk about that next week. But um, so sometimes when I say, I love Second Sons, I love when Jorah has a heartbreak on his face. I'm actually talking about next week, but this episode is really good. I love uh, what we got going on in this episode. Some great character work. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the themes and lessons here uh a little bit, of course. But I like—I I really one of the things I really love about this episode is that we get to see who Sandor Clegane and uh, Tyrion Lannister are as people. We kind of already uh, had a sense on both of them, and we definitely know who Tyrion is. But I think to actually see him at potentially some of his lows, he's got some. He's got some lower of the lows to come uh in his uh, journey this we know but at this point in the show season 3 has Tyrion down and out a lot um is isn't you know season 1 getting captured and imprisoned by Catelyn Stark that that's not that's not high on the list of success but season 2 he's in control he's got some power all ends up at the battle of blackwater bay uh and then this season just he's at his low at lowest so far and 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 he's scrambling a bit and He's stuck and he's trying to find out who he is and and my while also maintaining who he is and we see that here with the the marriage with Sansa and what goes on uh, behind closed doors and I, and I love that episode Sandor Clegane we tracking tracking the love of Sandor Clegane is one of my favorite things um, it's it pretty early on in season one either some about him even if you're not really sure you don't know where he's gonna go if you're not a book reader season one you can kind of you don't like him. You don't like what he did to Micah. You don't like kind of... He's a Lannister, essentially, in your brain because he's, he's, he's Team Lannister. And it slowly starts to unravel by the time battle... Uh, season 2, but by the Battle of Blackwater Bay. Um, this is after he saved Sansa and, and the, and the riots in the streets and, and, and after he says F the King and heads on, uh, heads on down the road. I think we're rooting for him. But uh, this is the episode where um, it's a quiet moment. <clears throat> Quiet moment with Arya that we get to see a little bit about him. We're going to talk about uh, his motivation. And one of the big themes of this episode is Second Sons. And we spend a lot of time with Second Sons in this particular episode. I uh, love what we get at the end of the episode. uh, Sam and Gilly facing the White Walker. Chilling at the time. I I love to kind of put myself back in the mindset of, of when I was seeing the show roll out in front of me for the very first time. I was always a little terrified. I scare easily. Don't watch a lot of horror movies. I don't go to like Halloween horror nights at theme parks where people can jump out and scare me. I, I don't love that that much. White Walkers have always terrified me, and this is such a great scene. the The, the tension, uh, the 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 reveal, everything about it is um, it's it gets me, and I love kind of going back to that frame of mind when I'm watching it now. Now there's no surprise, but you can still kind of the, the crows. Such a good sequence. Ah, oh, so much going on there. Uh, so we get to see that, and we, we get to see what Sam can do, what he's capable of when his back is up against the wall and he's got someone to fight for outside of himself. Love that there. So overall, this is a great episode. Um, the reaction, pretty positive. 5. Uh, 5.1 million viewers at the time, up from last week. Season 3 continued to set records, and then it dips a little bit. But the, the, the re, we get a little bit of a rebound here. This is also an episode that was uh, nominated for Best Hairstyles, Outstanding Hairstyling. at uh, the 65th Annual Primetime Emmys. And then uh, Dinklage uh, was nominated. And this was the episode that was submitted for Dinklage's performances, Tyrion. So absolutely love that. I want to look at what this episode is known for and the impact on the story. Love going back and seeing that kind of stuff here and where it fits in. and. Uh, uh, you know, we we love diving into the themes, but just in terms of plot and reveals and information, I think we get some big stuff here. Uh, the I'll start with a little bit of Stannis Brathian. My man, Stannis. We finally get a a little bit more of a sense. We kind of ha- had not known. Uh, he and Melisandre have the uh, looking into the flames moment uh, at the end of season two, after the Battle of Blackwater Bay. He is... Uh, Stannis is downed out as well, spends a lot of season three kind of confused, trying to find his purpose again, while also losing himself, a big theme in this episode. But he really confirms with Davos what he saw in those flames. It's a great battle in the snow, a battle for everyone, a battle for war for the dawn. He's got to be there. He's got to do it. He doesn't know how to get there. He doesn't know what's what. But uh, we finally get some confirmation as a viewer again, not necessarily as a reader, but as a viewer, you get a confirmation of that and and what that might lead to. On the at the same time, kind of in conjunction with which with what that might mean, we we get uh, we get to learn and kind of confirm that the White Walkers can be killed, and they can be killed by this obsidian, this dragon glass dagger. Yes, I still even watching now. Don't know why Sam didn't pick that up and run with it. I know he was in a panic, but. We're not criticizing that now. You know, would it, would one more dragonglass dagger have helped at the end of all things? Wouldn't have hurt. Wouldn't have hurt, Sam. Uh, so we learned that. We learned that there's an out. We learned that there's an out. It takes great courage, a uh, little stroke of luck, a lot of bravery to get it done, and you got to have that dragonglass, but we know that we have an out, and those love how those things um, tie in with that there. And uh, I think in, in terms of the impact of the story and, and us as viewers, Setting up Arya and the Hound. Arya and the Hound still is one of the more beloved connections on the show. Everyone, and myself included, talk often about can we just get that sitcom? And even though it began last week, it it really gets off uh, and running here. And we just have that moment up top. It's oddly sweet. It's um like the hound is as, as 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 best as he can is kind of being sweet in this episode. And and I like what that um like I said, it, it 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 impacts us as viewers. It impacts Arya. I think just as we're like thinking that, wow, wait a minute, should we actually root for the Hound? Arya is now thinking that as well. Uh, I'm stuck with him, but maybe I need him. And has a little sly smile at the end of that conversation, knowing that uh, his goal is to get her back to his uh, to her family, so he can cl- uh, collect his reward. Um, he's got not necessarily loyalty to her, but. Um, it's kind of the lay of land, and it's kind of a lot of what the hound represents in Arya's life. The lay of the land, what things uh, are, actually are, and that includes at the end. He toughens her up along the way. He makes her hard. He kind of he kind of uh, you know uh, makes her kind of you know a hardened uh, soul in this land. But then um, you know she goes on her her adventures in Braavos and beyond. And when she returns, he's also there to, to remind her of what really is. And what really is, is a life of vengeance is not what you want. And you're better than that. And, and all that great stuff, I think, in season eight. I love that stuff, season eight. And that payoff there kind of starts here. We, we get to that end in season eight um, by, by what's going to happen between them going forward. And this is a first great moment. And I really do think that impacts us a lot. When you're going back and putting yourself in that frame of mind and, and watching the show for the first time and kind of seeing, even if you're a book reader, just seeing how they're going to play this out. Um, it's very effective. It's an effective little scene, and I absolutely love that. Foreshadowing things with more meaning. Um, I love looking at little things. There's those little things that you look back and go, oh, I, we didn't even know. Uh, Samuel and his father. We've already heard a lot of bad things about Randall Tarling. But, uh, man, it's played so well in the show, this particular episode. The reveal when they're talking about the names with the fire uh, with um, Gilly, and uh, she says, uh, Randall's a handsome name. And uh, the, the, everything about John Bradley in that scene is amazing. He's a really good actor. He was kind of fresh into TV with this job, coming from stage in school. And, man, the story of John Bradley's audition is, I think, something along the lines, paraphrasing, summarizing a little bit. But he was kind of a little late to the audition, a little hurried, and kind of showed up nervous, sweaty, unsure of himself, and that was Sam, and that was Sam, and that ended up working. And this, it comes to blood. He's got the the horror in his face when he says, "No, not that name. Not 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 talking about Randall Tarley. Not that name." And Gilly recognizing it, their connection, they're connecting here in this moment over what their fathers have done to them. But I love when everything switches, and she picks up on it right away. Hannah Murray, really great as Gilly, picks up on it right away. Was your father cruel too? And you see John Bradley's face that go that that Samwell Tarly face where he, the eyes go down, they go big a little wide, that bottom lip quivers, and that is the 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 look the feel of of Sam cowering before his father. And we see it again uh, strongly uh, later on in the show when when these two characters finally are face to face with Randall Tarley and we as an audience finally meet Randall Tarley and it's not a pleasant experience but looking at that now seeing that play out and watching this moment here there's just a lot more power um, in, in the scene for me and and wanted to tip of the cap uh, to uh, give a little tip of the cap to John Bradley and his performance in the scene and, and again Hannah Murray but um, I always love uh, there's so many great actors on Game of Thrones but uh, the best ones, always tell that story with their eyes. Their eyes are telling you the story. All the histories, all the experiences, all the things that have gone wrong, all the pain, all the trauma, it, it's there in their eyes. And, and I, I think the best is, is Lena Headey. And uh, so many times in Cersei, you just get so much going on with Cersei's eyes. But I think John Bradley's got that going on in this scene here too. Speaking of Cersei, get some great Cer- Cersei scenes. That cutting, biting uh, Cersei, but also a dangerous Cersei. Cersei explaining the story behind the reigns of Castamir to Marjorie is a spectacular scene that sets up the coldest weddings. Uh, one of the coldest weddings in Game of Thrones, of course. Um, not a lot of joy and love in that one. It's a great scene. Natalie Dormer is awesome in the scene, playing the tension. We got a big tension-filled scene later on with the White Walker, chill-inducing. This one is, uh, in in its own way, equally as tension-filled. And Lean Headey playing it so well. And, again, talking about looking back at an episode and finding things with more meaning. What I mean by that really is things that were big and we just didn't really know. And I'm always speaking to the general audience here. I'm always speaking to the TV audience first. The Red Wedding is something that started to hang over season three. Word got out. There's something called a Red Wedding is coming. And if you didn't uh, hadn't read the books yet... didn't know um, to maintain that surprise was uh, it was was a hard task. But I I do think overall side conversation, I think overall, looking back in the history of uh, the Red Wedding, as we get to that next week, uh, even after this week, uh, I think the secret was pretty well kept. Generally speaking, it was a different time. 2013, I guess social media existed in full, um, but not to not use maybe necessarily in the same way that it is now, if you follow me. Uh, we're now, even now, nowadays, we're having problems with, you know, uh, entertainment reporters, uh, spoiling movies because after the, going to the premiere, all that kind of stuff. Um, the Red Wedding was still kind of this mysterious thing to a lot of folks. And it's so well crafted to have this song, this Reigns of Castamers song that has already shown up in the show. We've already heard it. We're already familiar with it. But it's, it's kind of in the background. And this great moment of Cersei explaining to Marjorie what her father does to those who rise up against House Lannister, to those who disrespect House Lannister, who those, those who, who do not have the good intentions, the goodwill of uh, House Lannister in their mind. Um, it, 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 it's, it's pretty fascinating to have her slowly break it down for us. Because now you look at it, you almost look at it, not with a laugh, but like, yeah, yeah, we get it, we get it, we get it. But this episode, this is episode eight. We're running into episode nine. And Cersei's basically basically explaining to us what is going on. I always talk about how so much of season three, particularly early season three, is just just Tywin writing. He's just writing. He's just writing letters. And all of that takes on much more meaning, Obviously. But this scene takes up uh, a lot more meaning and it's just such a well-crafted scene to just kind of, it, it's that—it's ex, exposition, it's history, it's history and lore from the own world, but it's exhibition, it, exposition, excuse me, to say, hey, here's how we're going to break into the casino. Here's how we're going to take, take down the Death Star. It's a briefing scene to let you know um, what's going to happen. Uh, I think one that comes to mind is Titanic you got the, all those, uh, you know, the interstitial kind of scenes of the modern day crew recreating uh, the Titanic, uh, the sinking of the Titanic. So we as an audience see that. So that when it starts happening in the movie, we are prepared and we can kind of better uh, vision, uh, visualize what's going on. I think this is what Cersei's doing here. Yes, I just compared Cersei to Titanic. She's slowly just explaining the women, the men, the children, everyone put to the sword. I love that line. Uh... Um, and she asked Marjorie, who's very familiar with the tale from songs, has heard it almost kind of like uh, Marjorie's the audience here. Yeah, yeah, we've heard that song Rain to Castamere." Yeah, who are you to bow so low? Yeah, great song, love that tune. But when uh, Cersei says, you know, hey, do you know what happened to you know them, and uh, they're they're all gone, gone. Such a gentle word. Uh, to, it it it's it's really it's it's setting us up in a lot of ways for next week. It's just taking it's the map on the table that we now know what's going on. So I love this scene. I love the point it uh, serves, the purpose it serves, and just kind of um, how it's played. And and Natalie Dormer, one of my favorite little moments of the scene is Cersei finishes her speech. You know, if you ever call me uh, a sister, get of you strangled in your sleep. Uh, walks away. Boom, mic drop. And just Natalie Dormer has that like. Oh, Oh, like just lets that she can she can't let anyone know. I love that they're walking through the wedding, getting ready for the wedding to happen. It's such a great scene, and it's one of those scenes where I think again too, you find yourself rooting for Cersei a lot more than you think you would, or maybe you root for just as much as you. Thought you would because she's she's um, wonderful, wonderfully complicated in her awesomeness there. Uh, so I love everything about this scene, and uh, just looking back now, it just has a lot more meaning. It's just going, yeah, it's it's basically saying, stand by, stand by to stand by for next week. It's more meaning now. I, I put this in this category. I, I, I just the Dario of it all. Uh, Ed Screen comes in here, makes his debut as Dario Naharis, um, and someone's voice, I think, as uh, Dario. Uh, he's got a he's got a short run coming here, and then uh, we got uh, what's his name, uh, Michelle Huismen, Huss- uh, Dutch performer, great actor, um, comes in there to take over the role. We'll talk about that in season four, whether it was the right decision or not. I think it was the right decision overall. Um, Dario never quite pops for me, but I've always admitted that Dario, show Dario, I understand book Dario way different. I'm uh, um, caught up in all those books, so you don't need to correct me or, or remind me in the, in the comments. I, I definitely am aware. And, and I still, I don't, the decision to not, uh, to, to make Dario not have the purple hair or the beard, and it just, it, it, it's, he's less exotic in the show. And, and, that, and I, I, that's the decision I, I, I might still question. No matter who's portraying him. This, Ed Screen's Dario might seem a little bit more like um, the Dario in the books, and, but a little bit, but again, even not. Um, and there's a lot around the recasting. There's a lot of things. Uh, you can read uh, Fire Cannot Kill uh, Dragons, the great book um, uh, from Entertainment Weekly there. Um, great history of Game of and there's some stuff in there too. Ed Screen has said, hey, it was political, it was political, well, I, I got removed, it wasn't my choice. So who knows? Uh, I don't, this performance is okay for me. And, um, and again, I don't even, I, don't, I don't, don't even think that's his voice. I have to confirm that again. I think they do. They revealed that in the, in the uh, Fire cannot Kill Dragon that uh, um, it wasn't his voice. Um, so it just, it, it doesn't, it falls a little flat, but I do like what Dario represents. Uh, I like that you, the, the, probably a little bit of the recasting um, was to make Dario a little less like Cal Drogo. A little less exotic, a little different, maybe. Maybe wrong again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure that's the best decision, but they they made it, and I like where we go with it. But the Dario of it all, just looking at what this means for Danny going forward, and the importance of uh, of Dario, the distraction of Dario, uh, and then it, I loved uh, what of Dario Dario's like final moments with Danny, which is you're a, you're a conqueror, uh, Daenerys Stormborn. Um, um, it all kind of sinks back to this moment. So it's big that Dario shows up, whether or not you actually like this or uh, the, any future casting decisions around Dario, like his appearance or not. I think it's a key, key thing, and, and it has a little more meaning for me now when I watch that there. I always love uh, hearing from you out there. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Napsuk and use the hashtag Casterly Talk. And we got a great comment from uh, our friend Eric Monroe again. Uh, and, of course, Eric is going to write about this because we're the two biggest Stannis Baratheon fans in the world. Eric writes, uh, The discussion between Stannis and Davos is one of my favorites. I love Stannis telling his friend uh, Davos, he's sorry about Matos, Davos' son. It's a sad scene because Davos is talking about the person Stannis was before Robert died. Parts of that person are still in there, and that's why Stannis wants to Davos to talk to him about uh, sacrificing Gendry. We also learn why Stannis saw the flames in Season 2, A Great Battle in the Snow, which, sadly, is a tragic battle for the one true king. Eric and I are always going to hold that uh, Stannis flame. We're going to hold it high in the sky. Uh, yeah, we can talk about that uh, in a moment. It's one of my favorite scenes as well. And this episode, it's why it stands up. I, I know I, I sounded like I didn't love last week's episode in the history, looking back on the show, and I do like a lot of the moments in it. Um just doesn't pop from for me as much as this episode does. Just love a lot of character work in this episode. Love the time we get to spend with them. And in some of the looking back at some of the reviews for this show, it's a very positive, well-received episode. Pacing, meandering pace sometimes comes up with it here. But again, it's weird to look back and see some of these episodes, particularly in season three, where pacing, meandering, um, too many characters, uh, all those kind of criticisms. Even some from glowing reviews, to be fair. And it's still fair to criticize something you love. But then you'd start going to season seven and eight where the pace is too fast. There's not enough characters. We don't get to spend enough time. Uh, you know, so sometimes it's hard to choose. A little column a, a, little column B. I get it, but there you go. Themes and lessons there. I want to dive through this one. Um, uh, one big one to focus on. I, I talked about just the overall theme. The, the episode's titled Second Sons. And we got the Second Sons showing up over there. The Mercenaries. Fight for nothing but gold. But again, we got a lot going on with the Hound. He's going against Arya's expectations and ours because his uh, his focus as the second son is driving him for revenge, not loyalty to the crown or others. I love how he de- dealt with being a second son, which is never good in these times. Never good in these. You aren't the heir. You're only the second son. Tyrion, the cast off younger uh, child, second son. Uh, what he's dealt with and again to see him just in a spot that he can't get out of having to do his duty that he has no choice but to do but doesn't want to do and and sees how wrong it is and just see how he reacts the care and the the concern that he's able to uh, flash in these episodes uh, just to see uh, love seeing uh, Tyrion work but just again the weight of being a second son on him Gendry the bastard son a second son of sorts trying to find his place in this world while uh, being a pawn in a greater plan um, the Melisandre eels, uh, leech, not not eels, leeches, it'd be weird if it was eels. Uh, the leech scene, um, is, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. It's an okay scene. Um, uh, and I, I, love Melisandre as a character, so it, it works for me, I guess. But, um, uh, poor Gendry. I just feel for Gendry in that scene. I feel for Gendry in that scene. She doesn't need to do any of that. It's she's got her whole theories about you know calm the lamb down and the meat will taste better. Got it. I also think Melisandre's like yeah yeah man I'll go get some before I uh, kill this kid. And, you know a woman a witch has got needs. I you know and I don't mean to uh, talk down to anything to Melisandre the character of Melisandre. I just it's it's a scene that's okay for me. Um, but for Gendry it's it's this battle of being a, a bastard son a second son and having no true place in this world and just not believing or trusting anything that's even given to you, which in this particular case, uh, he's right not to. And, of course, uh, finally, Samuel Tarly, the second son, uh, left at the wall, sent to the wall. Um, Dickon uh, will meet later on, of course. Um, Sam could never, absolutely never um, um, compete with him. Um, uh, and, I, and I'm saying second second thon, son in, in kind of theory here with, with Sam of just being the cast-off, um, um, not the heir. Um, uh, you know, being moved on, uh, uh, Your life-threatened, go to the wall or die, and how he deals with that as a uh, essentially a second son is how I look at that. But he becomes Sam the Slayer at the end of this. So big themes all the way through. Um, two great moments. I like the moments. In this show, it's an interesting note. This show, which has sometimes... Um, a bad track record with the, the sex position, the unneeded nudity. There's uh, some uh, nudity in this episode. Um, that seems a little... Per- uh, the Danny nudity is kind of purposeful to me. Whether or not, you know, you could argue needed or not in the real world context. But it's something important for Danny, the vulnerability she shows uh, Dario at the end. And also, I think, the strength to stand up and get out of the bath in front of him. Um you got that, got the Melisandre scene as well there. But there's two other things that I in a show that occasionally can run into problematic areas with sex and the politics of sex and and consent and those kind of things. There's two moments here where you the big one, is, of course, is Tyrion, not betting Sansa, um, um, admitting hey, yeah, I could, but I won't. Um, and and saying, you know, I'll share I'll share your bed when you want me to share your bed. And I and I think it's a what if I never want to? Then now my watch begins is a funny but also sweet and sad moment there. But also it's interesting Dario has that too. You got the uh, uh, Lisa uh, uh, pleasure girl from lease there, right? Sitting with the Titans bastard and uh, Miro and uh, uh, Dario has that great line about, uh, you know, uh, uh, wanting to the pleasure of having sex with a woman that wants to have sex with you. And uh, uh, I, I think it was, Two key little moments to show, they always talk in screenwriting, you know, the save the cat moment where a character will save a cat and we're now rooting for them and you get to see who they are. I think in a tiny way, these two little moments, you really get to see who these characters are. And Dario being rough around the edges, sure. Scoundrel, sure. Not a great man, sure. But he's got a good heart, I believe. And this kind of shows us as an audience uh, just in a little tiny little way. So uh, not so much a big theme, but a little bit of uh, maybe a lesson. Uh, for uh, young men out there, but also screenwriters as well. Uh, I talked about uh, Arya getting a lesson in the compl- okay, complicated layers of this world. Something that continues to to play out in front of her. The Hound is now an ally. I also think that's just kind of a again more than a, more of a lesson than a theme, but I think it works for me. Just. Uh, um, for us as an audience, it makes us hard to trust trust our instincts on any of these characters as you're going back uh, and reliving how you watched the show the first time out or how you even read the books the first time out. And I love that the show continues to play with that, and this is some great stuff from Aria here. Uh, the big one I want to talk about here today before getting on out of here, my voice is holding up, my voice is holding up, but it's ready to go, uh, is what we got going on here. So let's uh, talk about this one. This is um, what I call the debate of It's the debate of destiny versus choice. And I'm absolutely pulling from Star Wars and a lot of the conversations I have with Joseph Scrimshaw over on Force Center, our Star Wars podcast. It's a big moment for Stannis and Davos here. And I've said as a Stannis fan, I love Stephen Delane. I love his performance here. I love... The lack of shades of gray in Stannis. And I believe deep down he was at one point a tough and ornery and, and grumpy guy, but a good guy nonetheless. This one who believes in duty. And duty is uh, something that comes up here a lot with Stannis. Um, something you feel, you feel you have to do. An oath you've taken. Maybe even that oath is just one yourself. You have to do it here. And it comes down to this, this destiny versus choice is something this episode Uh, there's big stuff with Danny and I love the, I love the stuff with Danny. Um, uh, As disgusting as the Titans bastard is, it's a a continuation of kind of stuff we've seen with Danny last week. She's going to use her powers for good. She's pretty confident. She's running wild. Uh, Just, uh, you know, making threats and playing the game there. But we'll come back to one of the one of my Danny thoughts. I don't want to get distracted on that there. But um, this idea of these characters, Danny and and others feel as though they have this, destiny to be who they are and a lot of it comes down to the iron throne and what you believe um uh you know how much you believe you belong in that iron throne uh danny has that big in a big way we know that um in, in many ways she feels it's her destiny definitely part of her family's legacy for her to be there it's a rightful place Stannis brathian has that too um and it's interesting because Danny's someone who once she kind of moves into that role and her brother's removed and she slides right into that kind of number one position is the last Targaryen in the world trying to retake what is ours and what is mine. Destiny's something that she feels she has going on there too and, and, and here. But Stannis has it too and he didn't necessarily, whereas Danny kind of wants it along the way. Stannis maintains he didn't, that he was called to this and this becomes therefore, uh, you know, therefore becomes his duty. And you do your duty. You do your duty. He has this line with Davos. Such great stuff between him and Lee and Cunningham. The darkness will devour them all, she says, the night that never ends, unless I triumph. I never asked for this, no more than I asked to be king. We do not choose our destiny. We must do our duty, no? Great or small, we must do our duty. What's one bastard boy against a kingdom? So. Davos, Stannis here represents this idea of destiny. Destiny above all else. I have been called to be king. I didn't want to, but my brother's murdered. Um, My other brother claims the throne uh, to kind of usurp my own kind of uh, uh, destiny, if you will. Uh, I didn't want this, but now I got this red red witch telling me it's mine, and now she's saying I need to do this to save the world. I don't want this, but it's my duty. And Stanis Baratheon does his duty. What's his final line to Brianne? That final conversation. Go on. Do your duty. Um, but Davos represents the choice. I believe in my heart. We, we can look at destiny. Sports, a team of destiny. Destiny has called you to be this great thing. It's called you to be a king. It's called you to be a queen. It's called you to be the chosen one. Uh, a great Jedi. It's chosen you to be a baseball uh, championship winning team. It's ch- t- called you to be a basketball uh, winning uh, championship winning team. Uh, called, it's just called you to be a basketball is what I was starting to say there. Um, destiny has called you to greatness. And then, therefore, anything that you do has to serve that. And it needs to serve that. And there's no choice in the matter. It just serves that. And Davos represents what I feel a lot is that destiny is this thing that just brings you to this choice. You have a great purpose. We all potentially have a great purpose, but yes, some more than others maybe have this purpose. But along the way, you can lose You can lose yourself, you can lose the way, and you can kind of step aside from this purpose. Maybe someone else, their destiny leads them to that purpose. I don't think it's as mythical and magical that even we use in our own real world. And I think that's the point. I think that's a lot of what Stannis represents for me. And again, uh, Daenerys Targaryen two characters I love by the way there's some tragedy in their stories and there needs to be some tragedy in their stories Stannis is saying this look, the darkness will devour them all she says he doesn't even believe it because they're also talking this great conversation about what religions are right in the world Davos doesn't believe in any religion he says it's uh, something the parents make up to help their kids sleep at night and Stannis comes back with what I believe is his truth. Really? I looked in the flames and I saw a great battle in the snow. I saw it. I saw it right in, my, in front of my own eyes. You saw what she birthed. You saw the ghost baby demon that took out Renly. Davos can't deny that. Now, Melisandre, we know, will go on to admit that some of her tricks uh, are tricks. Some of her treat, tre- treats are tricks, Um and some of it's fake to convince men to do what they want, but she still kind of believes. And we also have this conversation a little bit around what we see with Amir and, and Beric Dondarrion. These are things that are happening. I believe in my heart the seven, uh, the seven gods, those gods, nah, seven-pointed start, nothing. Old gods might have been something. Drowned gods... Uh, any other goat gods, any of the lamb gods, any other god, any other religion out there in this land, I don't believe him. But I do believe in what Melisandre, Thora and other uh, red priests and priestesses are saying, uh, in the sense of in this world. There's every, a lot of things are open for interpretation, but there's there's some there's some things going on. This war for the dawn is coming, and there's something real to it. So I love that Stannis presents that because he's not a believer. Think of Renly back there at the parlay. Peaches or not, the parlay. Ah, I've I've heard rumors you turn to religion in your old age. Now I see why. A wink, wink, old brother. The darkness will devour them all, she says. He doesn't believe, but he's starting to see it, and he can't turn away from it. The night that never ends, unless I triumph. I never asked for this. No more than I asked to be king. So he believes he has this destiny and everything he is doing and everything he needs to do just simply is for the purpose of this destiny and this destiny has this greater good attached to it. So that is rolling around in Stannis Baratheon's head. Whereas Danny last week confirms I've got power, I've got position, I've got dragons and I'm going to use this power To take the Iron Throne, but also to help people along the way and make a better world. Stannis doesn't have the syrupy sweet, I'm going to make this a better world thing going on here. But at this point, he kind of understands taking the Iron Throne isn't just something about lineage and right and ruling. It now has something important attached to it. And only I can do it. Therefore, everything I need to do has to happen. I have to. Even sacrificing This uh, one bastard boy against a kingdom. It's his nephew, but he doesn't care. Davos represents the flip side of that. That's something I'm passionate about, which is this choice I keep talking about. Yeah, you might have been called to be the king now. You might have been called to lead us to a great battle, but this is not the way. And how you choose to fight and how you choose to pursue your destiny, your so-called destiny, will define you and potentially destroy you done right, it will build you up. Stannis Brathing along the way, this is a thought and a theory. Nothing's fact for me. Along the way, there's always this question of, was Melisandre right or wrong? Was she just making it up about Stannis? Was it John all along? Did she know that she needed to get to John? She also seems very confused, especially when John dies. She lacks uh, lacks confidence in her abilities, confidence in what she can do, what she feels she needs to do. She recovers. I don't necessarily think in the end she might not have been wrong about Stannis. Now, I'm not saying Stannis is a High reborn. I'm not saying that. I think we get caught up on that a lot. George R. R. Martin himself will tell you, the prophecies in this land, in this story, much like our own, our own world, right, are meant to be open-ended, meant to be interpreted different. There's supposed to be some confusion attached to these things in the story. A red comet in the sky could mean everything to anyone. I think there might have been at some point some truth to what Melisandre was seeing in Stannis. Now, it might just be that Stannis needed to get Essentially, her up to the wall, save the day, but also have her meet Jon Snow, which might have had uh, more importance to her, um, to save the land, to save the people. And we know it's beyond just the Night King. We're talking about the, the big war that will end all wars here, the War of the Red God versus uh, the Night King, essentially. But I think it's about beyond that. I think it's about the world. I think it's about everyone in it. It's what Stannis is talking about here. We must do our duty, great or small. We must do our duty. And Stannis is showing time and time again that he is in this position of power and purpose, and he's continuing to make wrong choices that cause him to lose himself. Eric Monroe says in his Twitter comment, you know, there's still, there was good in him at one point. It's kind of sad to see. Parts of that person are still in there, writes our listener and friend Eric Monroe. The person was before Robert died. Now, while we really heard about here in the show that before Robert died, ugh, you don't want to meet Stannis. Stannis is an a-hole. And you meet him, and uh, he doesn't he doesn't work too hard to disprove what uh, rumors were about him. He is what he is. But he has choice, and he's constantly faced with choice. He backs away a little bit. I've always, you know, again, Melisandre's... Uh, you know, she's getting she's getting hers in, dropping some leeches, taking that blood, and then they're gonna kill Gendry after. And we know it's Davos that kind of saves the day there. But I always thought they were just gonna run she was gonna stab him in the heart, and that's the end of the day. But then this happens there. Stannis doesn't stop it, despite what Davos says, and despite Stannis feeling as though he might want to. He doesn't this doesn't feel right. But I've got to do it because it's my duty, and there's no question there. And I can't question it. So he has a choice, and he turns away from it. From this point on out, and and along the way even before, but this, you know, uh, he's burned some, uh, some relatives and some people close to him. That's kind of when we meet him, he's burning away the old gods. Stannis is making bad choice after bad choice. But here comes Davos, who just distinctly tell him, I get it. You are who I believe to be the one true king. Renly wronged you. That's why it was okay to do what you did to Renly, good or bad, morally, whatever. You did it because Renly wronged you. You don't kill innocents. He tell, he's not saying you, as a like, question or suggestion. He's saying to Stannis, I know you. You don't kill innocent people. Why would you do this? Stannis okays it. Davos will react to that. And this just continues to build and build. And along the way, Stannis is, uh, there's some moments we like with Stannis. He's going to go ahead and spare Mance Raider. He's going to go ahead and save the day at the Wall. The realm, I do contend as a Stannis fan, does owe a lot to Stannis back then in season five there. But then he's going to be locked in. And then his destiny becomes Winterfell, uh, throwing out the Ramsey, get involved in that stuff. And this is his next great victory. It's never enough. And he continues to make the wrong decision. And each decision pulls him farther away from who he is. And he doesn't really see this happening. He doesn't have a clear picture of who he is. And Davos represents that. Destiny versus choice. I believe choice still exists in the conversations around destiny. And I think there's a lot of things that play in this show, not just this episode, but in this show, that play around with that Trope of destiny. Jon Snow is destined to also save the day. He's destined to be king. This is what you expect. The bastard son from nowhere. He's destined to take it all. But his destiny is up against Danny's destiny. Their destiny is up against Stannis's destiny. Ramsey's destiny, if you will. Theon has some destiny. Everyone in the show has some sort of destiny. And they all kind of interconnect, interconnect and crash against each other. And a lot of what ends up happening is characters making bad choices to move away from who they are. Except for, I think, Jon Snow, who does make some bad decisions at times. There's some tactical things he does along the way that's wrong. There's some uh, things he does uh, with Sansa that I think are wrong. I think a lot about the Battle of the Bastards is uh, represents some mistakes and failings of Jon Snow. But often... More often than not, Jon Snow, on this path of destiny, makes choices that are in a line with who he is. And he doesn't necessarily lose himself. He literally dies and loses himself. But he doesn't. He learns more about himself. And he doesn't lose himself. Stannis loses himself. And these are the moments along the way that mean everything. And you might not like Stannis. Stannis. I'm not asking you to love Stannis Baratheon. I'm not asking you to love Stephen Delaney and Stannis Baratheon. I'm just saying these are key points in the show, what the show is telling us. And it does start to fuel into Daenerys Targaryen. The bathtub scene here with the Dario stuff and, and Dario pledging his uh, fealty to Danny, her showing both her vulnerability and her strength by standing out of that water proudly, defiantly, bravely. Um, the scene starts with a fun little conversation about Missandei talking about I, I speak like nineteen languages, and um, Danny talks about Ah, you know, I you know I learned Dothraki, and, and Missandei's got the great line of like Yeah, oh, yeah, you know, you 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 learned it reasonably well, and great moment. Amelia Clark plays it so well. Uh, just uh, no, no. What do you mean reasonably well? Cal Drogo, the man who loved me, he told me I was really good at Dothraki. Oh, says something I would ask she 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 says it it doesn't say it right and 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 Missandei has to correct her to which Danny once she finally says it right says oh, I, I mean I I'm a little bit rusty so it's a fun moment it's a sistery moment between the two it, it speaks of their connection but I was looking at it a little closely and putting it with a lot of the other stuff here it's it's not necessarily about choice and destiny here but but it's Danny being at times so sure about something that's tied to her great purpose, tied to her destiny. This is not to say that not speaking Dothraki perfectly is a signal that she was gonna go mad and end up killed, but it's something that the show's telling you. Danny has a certain vision of herself, and that's not all that's not always necessarily true. That's not how she's always necessarily received, and sometimes we have that too. So here she is. At the gates of Yunkai. She's about to get the second sons to her side. She is determined, as she talks about, as she determines to with herself. Uh, that's the important of the season three, episode seven scenes with her. Um, it, it's this idea that, yeah, I'm going to use my power for a great purpose. And it is a great purpose. But along the way, Danny's going to be presented with a lot of choices. A lot of them have to do with initially, particularly marine with how you think you're perceived is not exactly what you are. And you need to face that, and you need to grow from that, and you need to continue to make the right choices. Those around her tried to help her, just like Davos does with Stannis, but you're not always going to listen to them, and eventually along the way, you'll lose them. So I do think it ties into the big picture with Danny, and it's a tiny little moment and a throwaway, if you want to throw it away, a little scene with Missandei, Um, but I think it's important. And I, I def- definitely think it's important to what this episode has to say about destiny and choice, and that's why I love a lot of what Stannis Baratheon represents in this show. Uh, we always like to talk about fam- favorite uh, favorite moments and scenes there, uh, but my voice kind of starting to give out here. I do love uh, Stannis and Davos, Davos Cersei and Marjorie, uh, Tyrion and Sansa in the bedroom. Um, like I said, it just we we already know what who Tyrion is, but it just confirms a lot. Um, and it uh, has great meaning, too, going forward, too, with some of the Sancterian stuff a little bit later on. Um, do love, I do want to hide out, uh, uh, point out, um, excuse me, uh, Cersei and Loras uh, <laughs> having that little moment where Loris kind of, uh, I better, better go talk to my uh, bride-to-be here, uh, starts to tell the story of his father, Mace, uh, what he said, and Cersei says that great line, nobody cares what your father once told you. You see, we're rooting for Cersei. Episode stars for me, Sophie Turner and Peter Dinklage. Dinklage is amazing. This we know. I think Sophie Turner... Grew as a performer, got better and better. She went along here, and she did such good stuff with Sansa. But I do think early on, probably because the way the character of Sansa was designed, both book and show, she is a little annoying. She is the Polly Pocket princess that you're kind of not rooting for in season one. And then as things, horrible things start happening to her, I think hopefully you gain some sympathy. Hopefully you have some empathy and compassion for her. But Sophie Turner's performing in this particular episode, The Terror but also the I guess I got to grow up and do this and the brave face forward, even when she's starting to undress and it's a little bit at times in the foreground um, and you're watching uh, Tyrion um, deal with this. I, I, I love what Sophie Turner does with this scene. I love Michelle McLaren's direction in this episode and in this scene. Um, it's played so well. It shows a lot about them. It shows a lot about where they are on their, on their roadmaps as characters and, and I want to highlight them. Uh, And uh, as always, Stephen Delane and uh, Liam Cunningham is uh, Stannis and Davos, the grumpy old man comedy tour that I love so much. There. So there you go. That is our look at season three, episode eight, Second Sons. And man, we've got a big one coming next week. This is season three, episode nine. Um, Yeah, we know what's coming. We're going to get to it. Uh, I'll try to record next week. Maybe I grab some other folks to come on in here with me or maybe at least some calls coming in here. Um, But if you want to just tell me, you know I'd love to hear? If you want to tweet out to me at Kednapsock, use hashtag Casterly Talk. Tweet out uh, your reactions to Red Wedding, particularly if you weren't a book reader. And then if you were a book reader, how you felt, the show carried it out, but also how people around you reacted. I know there was a lot of reaction videos back in the day, um, but how, how you felt about it and what it made it do. It, it was a gut punch. It was, it's still one of the greatest moments in television to me, uh, as brutal as it was, just because I've never, like Ned Stark's death, I felt confused, but this one I just felt gutted. Confused but gutted, and 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 a little angry and sad. And I, I know this is a moment. I, I one of my one of my best friends, my uh, former writing partner, Matt Key. He threw the book, uh, Storm of Swords. He threw it across the room. A hand to God. He did that, and so upset at the Red Wedding. And I've heard that story before. So it's. I think it's one of the great moments for a reason. The brutality, the reality, um, just the horribleness of it. And I think the show does a great job with it. So we're going to talk about that next week. Maybe have some special guests, too. But most of the time, eh, it probably just be me and my uh, Davos prison beard. My beard's a little bushier this week, huh? Eh? If you're watching on YouTube there. Uh, housekeeping as we get on out of here. Uh, we are part of the uh, Good People Association Network right now, found on Blue Wire Podcast, where you can search and find us anywhere and don't forget we have the youtube channel just search casterly talk or if you uh, see some of my tweets I, i usually put them on out put a link in there uh, we're always a podcast first, especially for these rewatch episodes, to be clear, but uh, more things come to the YouTube channel. We got a big burst of subscribers last week. Love to get, a, get to 1,000, so if you're listening, even if you don't plan to really watch on YouTube, just pop on over there. Give us a, a subscription so we can build that channel out. We're going to put some special up there stuff up there, get us ready for House of the Dragon, do some other short-form content up there, and really build out that channel. So... Hey, uh, if you'd like to, if you would, go ahead and um, give us a a subscribe uh, push. Hit that button and all those bells and all those things you need to do on YouTube. Uh, but thanks uh, very much for listening to the podcast form as well. And also don't forget if you're uh, uh, listening and you found us you know from the Good People Association or you know of the GPA what we do over there. We got that Kickstarter still going. It is going strong. We got a few days remaining. We're gonna hit some of those stretch goals. So spread the word, support if you want to and uh, tell the word about futility, the actual game of living which you can support now on Kickstarter links will be down below. So that is it for this time, my friends. Always a lot of fun talking Game of Thrones, looking back, doing this rewatch with y'all. We'll see you next time here on Casterly Talk.